0: And he asked me, why did Jesus die on the cross? And uh, I I said, for the sins of the world. Did he die for your sins? I said, yes. So you believe, because you're a Christian, that he died for your sins? And I said, yeah. So is there anything that you have done in your life that he cannot forgive you for? And I started crying. Mm. And I said, no.
1: Welcome to the Men's Alliance podcast. Men's Alliance is a growing movement of tribes across the nation that meet weekly for rugged outdoor workouts and a real world devotion around a fire. If you want to be a part of what we're doing, join us at mensalliancetribe.com where you can find a tribe near you or come to one of our start the fire weekends. So check us out at mensalliancetribe.com. Now stay tuned for this great podcast. Welcome to the Men's Alliance podcast. I'm Dave Mills Goose. And with me today, special guest Fernando Arroyo, author of an incredible book that he's going to tell you about called "The Shadow of Death," and the subtitle is "From My Battles in Fallujah to the Battle for My Soul." So, Fernando, thank you for being with us today on the Men's Alliance Podcast.
0: Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me,
1: man. So, you've got an amazing story. Um, you, you've you've been through incredible events and. You've written a book about it, and ultimately, that is a story about God finding you. Right? We always say finding God, but I think God found you. Yeah. Um, so, if you want to just start off by just telling us a little bit of the backstory before we even get to that part, um, tell us a little bit about your background, military service, what what you did, and and um, and where you were.
0: Yeah. So I joined after 9 11, and I was still in high school, but that month. Uh, I saw the attacks live on TV, and then uh, like so many people back then, uh, right after 9-11, it's like, all right, I got to sign up. This is it. You know, I I wanted to serve as a kid, so I joined the Army. I volunteered to serve as a paratrooper, so um, I was in the infantry, and I was trained to parachute out of planes, and I was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and as I served At Fort Bragg, I volunteered for my battalion's recon team. So each battalion has a reconnaissance team. It's called a scout platoon. So before the, you know, a battalion has about 2,000 or more paratroopers. Before the lieutenant colonel, the, the company, the battalion commander sends troops, the scout team, he sends out scout teams to do recon missions and find out where the enemy is, how big the enemy is what weapons they have and all that, so he could better plan his missions. And that's what I was trained to do. So I was um, in a specialized platoon. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I did that for like two and a half years.
1: How old old were you? Okay, so how, you you were like 18 when you went in?
0: Yeah, I signed up, I was still 17 years old. My parents had to sign a, a waiver.
1: Oh wow. And
0: I had to graduate high school before I left. So once I graduated high school, then that was in June of 2002. And then July of 2002, I turned 18 and then August is when I left for a uh, basic training,
1: man. And when was your, um, when was that first deployment? How long did that take from, from, you know, joining the <clears throat> army and getting into to being over there on your first deployment?
0: It was like, it was a year because I left August, August 21st, 2002. I left for Fort Benning, Georgia. It's now called Fort Moore. And, uh, I went there, did my infantry school, airborne school, went to Fort Bragg, did the recon training. I was at Fort Bragg jumping out of planes and all that stuff, doing recon uh, missions and stuff, training. And then it was in August of 03 that I left for um, for Iraq. So okay. it was a year.
1: So what was your spiritual life like at that time? Where were you well, I
0: grew- Yeah, spiritually, I grew up going to church. And it was uh, my mom. She's the one that took us to church. My dad didn't go to church. Um, my mom would take my brother and I to church. And then at a young age, I believed. I remember as a little kid in elementary school, like praying and uh, talking to a bunch of the. Uh, I grew up around a lot, a lot of Catholics mm-hmm. and I tell them why it was wrong to pray to the Virgin Mary and all that, you know, as a little mm-hmm. kid. Um, so I grew up a believer at 13 is when I was baptized and so i grew up in a bad neighborhood my spiritual life was hanging out with the wrong people and knowing i was wrong and hanging out like a lot of my friends joined gangs but what kept me from joining a gang was one is uh being a believer and two is having a father because my parents are still married to this day and my dad was there and a lot of my friends, didn't have a dad. They grew up in, in, you know, uh, female led households. There's a lot of, uh, statistics on that. And I saw it. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. A Man, lot so of, that's you know, a
1: huge, huge testimony to the power of a dad right there. Huh? I mean, that's one of the key things that kept you from joining a gang was just the presence of a dad. Yeah. And, and yeah. you were, this was California.
0: Yeah, this was California. I grew up, uh, by East Los Angeles in a city okay. called bell gardens.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you've you've got the faith, it's there, but you've been kind of with the wrong crowd. I think this is a all too familiar story. <laughs> you know. Uh but it's like the seeds are there. They're yeah. they're in there. No matter how and, far you stray, you can only stray so far. Right. When God's been anchored into your heart as a as a as a youth.
0: Yeah, I I believed at a young age and I joined And I think the way this story is going to go, you'll see is my faith was I was really leaning in on God. You know, is this I prayed about this, about joining since I was a kid. Then I joined and I'm praying to God through boot camp. I'm praying to God through airborne school. You know, I just help me make it through this training. Help me, you know, to I pray that my parachute open so I don't
1: just jump out
0: to my death and all that.
1: Men, are you looking to buy a new home? Maybe it's a vacation home, maybe a rental property, or maybe it's building your dream home, dream home, mm-hmm. and you need a mortgage. Well, I want to tell you about a tribesman who can help you with just that. Chris Norwood, call sign Coop from Hammer Tribe. He works at Town Bank Mortgage. He has been doing this for over 21 years. He's qualified to lend in 16 states. He can definitely help you out. Let me give you his contact info. You can go to townbankmortgage.com slash Chris Norwood, or you can call him directly at 804-439-3206. Again, this is Chris Norwood, call sign Coop. He's a Men's Alliance guy from Town Bank Mortgage who can help get you a loan for your dream home. He even helped iron buy his new house. Check him out. Welcome back to the Men's Alliance podcast. We're talking today with Fernando Arroyo and sharing with us his story about his book that he's written, The Shadow of Death. So Fernando, we've been talking about your first deployment um, in Fallujah. And so you deployed multiple times, multiple places. Tell us a little bit about that process of that coming home, that redeployment and then going back again. And 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 that process of back and forth for a couple of years.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you you mentioned when when uh, earlier you know I said I just turned nineteen when I left to Fallujah, and you were like, oh, you you were invincible, and it's like mm. that's that's it, right? Like I'm invincible. Of course, we had wounded guys. We had one killed in action, and uh, that reminded me of my humanness. That reminded me of, um, you know, I could die, but being young, I'm like, hey, if I'm going to die, this is the place, you know, I signed up for this, I'm a paratrooper. Um, The truth is that war was fun. It's fun until somebody gets hurt is like how I would describe it. The gunfights, you know, it's scary and all that heart pounding, adrenaline rush, all that, that experience. But when it's over, it's just like, you know, we got to the point where we started high fiving each other, we started like, We wanted that, you know? So then I I go to war. I'm in Fallujah for seven months. I come back. I turn in my gear. But something interesting happened where um, after I turned in my gear and I'm at Fort Bragg, I'm waking up at night to the sound of gunfire. And I'm diving off my bed, looking for my weapon, looking for my body armor. And I can't find it. And then I look out the window of the barracks, and then I see another barracks building, and I see green North Carolina trees at Fort Bragg. And then I remember, oh, I'm back home. I'm not in Iraq anymore. Like, that was just like a flashback. It was just a nightmare. And that mm-hmm. happened several times. Or when someone slammed a door, or like I heard a, a thud, because I'm, I was living at, a, you know, Fort Bragg as a military base, and at a distance I could hear field artillery training or mortar mortar platoons training and I heard explosions every day and every now and then I just like whoa I I would flinch and my heart started pounding and it was because of the IED explosions I experienced in war it's because of the rocket and mortar attacks from combat this time the 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 train you know this time the explosions were training it wasn't the enemy trying to drop bombs on me which was you know what happened in Volusia So I remember going home and I went home to see my parents for two weeks, a two week vacation. And I remember it was garbage day and I'm sitting in the living room and we're watching TV and behind my parents' home is an alley and there's a dumpster there. And the garbage truck picked up the dumpster and then once it gets to the top, they shake it to get all the trash out. So it's a a loud bang, 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 you know? And I'm, I'm in the living room watching TV and I dive to the living room floor and I yell, "Incoming! Get down! Incoming! Get down! Get down!" And then I look, and my 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 mom, my dad, and my brother were just staring at me, and I just started laughing. I just felt, oh, you know, silly me. This is what we did in Iraq. I'm not there, so I just got up laughing, like, okay, all right, never mind. And my mom started crying. And she said, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, mom, I'm okay. It's all right. You know, laughing it off. And she kept asking me, mijo, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, don't worry. It's just something we did over there. And I didn't realize that, you know, that's all PTSD. I didn't even know what PTSD was. So I get back to Fort Bragg and six months later, we're going to Afghanistan. And I get on a plane and then. I'm in another country now, and this time it's mountainous, it's cold. It was um, August of 2004, and we were there to provide security for the first elections since the removal of the Taliban at the time, right? And we were out in a remote camp by the Pakistan border with a special forces team um, from third special forces group. And we were out there with, uh, it was Third Special Forces Group and then a uh, some uh, Afghan soldiers. And we were doing missions out there, hitting compounds, going after Taliban and Al-Qaeda and um, counter IED and counterinsurgency stuff. And after three months of that, the elections went smoothly. We came back. Again, I come back home. I turn in my gear. I'm at Fort Bragg. And again, I'm you know waking up to the sound of gunfire i'm looking for my gear it's not there um people's you know slamming doors or whatever it just like i'm on edge i i'm i'm on edge i'm having weird dreams and uh i was drinking a lot we drank a lot we were just like you know it's train hard fight hard party hard that's the paratrooper lifestyle i wasn't going to church i wasn't again i only prayed if i was jumping out of an airplane I prayed if um, every now and then I was reminded of of God and just, I asked for forgiveness. But again, God, if you're in control of everything, then you're the one that's allowing all this evil to happen. You're allowing people to get mutilated. You're allowing people to um, shoot at, you know, shoot my friends and wound them. And again, it was a battle of my faith. And, uh, I, like you said, you know, we, we, we wonder like, why do you question your faith? It's like, yeah, but you're not reading the book that God gave us, you know, to understand that King David went through these things. And there's so many, um, so many examples of, of in the Bible of, uh, you know, people, human beings questioning their faith, yeah. you know? I tell people the Bible isn't a book about people that, you know, these guys, they did it so good. They did it so right. This is why their stories made it into this scripture. This is the story of God's goodness and his grace and everything that people have done wrong. And yet God is faithful, you know? And that was that, that, that continues to be me in this life, of course, but at a young age, that was me questioning my faith, blaming God and, God was still there. The bombs weren't, you know, I was never wounded. Bombs exploded. Nothing hit me. I come back home. I'm having nightmares. And then, uh, then I got orders after coming back and I went to war again for 15 months.
1: Third deployment.
0: Third deployment. Beijing Iraq, 15 months. It was during the surge, uh, 2006, 2007. And that was the toughest deployment. Not only was it the longest, but I lost several friends. And there were friends that, you know, one day we're having lunch and we're joking and laughing. And the next day they're, you know, being put in a body bag covered by the American flag. And then I render a salute as they're loaded onto the helicopter, give them their final respects. And then that's it. Like, okay, you know, get your gear on. We're going to go get revenge. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything you want to talk about. Kind of talking over
1: here. No, dude, you're your your uh your story is very compelling and um I'm just I'm just honored to be listening to it as you share it. Um so by this time how old were you on your third deployment?
0: My third deployment, <clears throat> I was
1: 23 years old. Okay. And um this is really like how you 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 really came of age. Yeah. On, on in in war in combat, it went from nineteen to twenty three.
0: Yeah, I hear people's uh, mm. people say like, yeah, you gotta go to college and live in the dorms and get that full experience and find yourself, and and that's that's you know how how you find out who you are and all that. I'm like, I found out who I was or learned about myself in war, jumping out of planes, mm-hmm. um, going through Army Ranger school, doing all these challenging things. And then at 23 by the time i was 23 i was a squad leader in charge of a squad of paratroopers and i was leading combat operations in Beijing, iraq and again every deployment i got worse i lost more friends i I saw more tragic things and i reached a point my last deployment where my relationship with god was i even i was so angry because my friends were dying that Mm. I just, I said, I'm not even going to pray to him anymore. Mm. So even leaving the wire, I started, I would stop myself from praying. And I'd say, you know what? If I die, I die. So what? Who cares? And just let's go. Let's just go out. Let's go out, do our, do whatever mission we got to do. And, uh, I remember being angry with God, not praying, but one day there was, um, We were out at the Beji Oil Refinery and from the Beji Oil Refinery, we stayed in this building and we'd um, go out and do missions there. You know, we'd be out there for like three, four days at a time, go back to the forward operating base, refit for a few days, and then come back out and do more missions. And uh, one day we were done with our three days of doing missions. And then uh, as we're heading back to the forward operating base, FOB Summerall, I was in the lead Humvee, I was a squad leader in the lead Humvee and then I saw a, a roadside bomb. It was this car tire with wire sticking out of it on the side of the road. So I called it up, we secured the highway and now I got to wait an hour for the EOD, the bomb squad to show up to detonate this thing. And then I, ca- I got a call on the radio as we were waiting and my buddy Jerry calls me and he says, um, get out of your Humvee and look towards the city of Beijing, which was behind us. So before I could do that my gunner Tito on the 50 cal of the machine of the turret on the Humvee he turns around and he's he just says oh my god and I said what what is it and he didn't respond so I opened my door of the Humvee I get out and I see a giant mushroom cloud coming out from the city and at the time car bombs were the thing you know this was the enemy was packing um hundreds of pounds of explosives into vehicles and just suicide Bombers driving these things into um, police stations and what's called joint security stations, where our guys were staying in buildings next to Iraqi army and and Iraqi police. And um, that morning, these insurgents put 2000 pounds of explosives into a guard. I think it was a bongo truck or a garbage truck. And they drove it into the joint security station and they completely destroyed the Iraqi police station, and then 20 insurgents came in after the explosion, and they were over, They were taking over um, the joint security station where Charlie Company was of my unit. So I get in my Humvee, I hear my buddy Sullivan on the radio, I had served with him in Fallujah and in, in Afghanistan, and he was there, and I heard his voice, I recognized his voice on the radio, and he said, Beji CP, Beji CP, VBID, VBID, V. And they cut off. Beji CP is Beijing, the city of Beijing, command post. VBID is vehicle borne improvised explosive device, which is a car bomb. Then we get a call on the radio from the company commander there, and he says, We've just been hit by a, a suicide bomb. The Iraqi police station is down, is, is destroyed there's 19 Iraqi policemen dead, and we have several wounded. We're being overrun. There's 20 or more insurgents in our perimeter. We need reinforcements. So we turned our Humvees around and drove. And I remember driving towards this mushroom cloud and one of my soldiers, Marty Holland, he was a believer and he got made fun of for it. You know, he was made fun of for being a believer. Um, And I really, I didn't stand up for Jesus. Uh, Again, my relationship wasn't well. it, It was not good. I questioned his goodness and all that. And then I remember being in that Humvee going towards the mushroom cloud. And then Marty said a prayer out loud. And he said, Lord Jesus, I pray in your name that you would protect the men of Charlie Company. And I pray in your name that you would protect us. In your name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And then I remember that sparked this guilt and this fear in my heart, and I hadn't been praying to God, and I'm driving towards this mushroom cloud, and then I thought, today is, it's probably going to be the day I die, because we're going into this, there's already 20 insurgents inside the base, by the time I get there, my friends will probably all be dead, and I'm just going to go there, and I'm going to fight to my death to save them, if I can, if not, I'd rather die trying to save them, It was a, well, I thought it was a suicide mission. So I said a prayer and I said, Lord, I know that our relationship isn't good, but forgive me for my sins. And if I die, forgive me. And hopefully Lord, I awake in your presence in your name. I pray, amen. And then I didn't know if, if I died, if I would go to heaven or hell, that was because I had so much hate and anger in my heart towards God and towards my situation in life, my friends dying. Um, And I remember going into the city, we made it to the mushroom cloud and it was like the site of a nuclear blast, like out of Hollywood. There's a crater the size of a Volkswagen Beetle in the street. The Iraqi police station is rubble. There's cars and car parts. There's bodies and body parts scattered all over the street. And then we drive in front of the crater and I get out of my Humvee. And then I I walk to the rubble and I'm walking on the rubble looking for anybody who's still alive. And all the Iraqi policemen were dead. Then behind the Iraqi police station were concrete pillars and they withstood the blast. And then behind the pillars was a two-story building where Charlie Company was staying. And um, it was still standing. But all the windows were shattered. And everyone from Charlie Company, from that, from I think it was 2nd Platoon, Charlie Company, they all had been like slammed up against walls and, and thrown like rag dolls by the blast. They all had concussions. And uh, my buddy Sullivan came out from one, behind one of the pillars and he was walking towards me and he had a bloody nose and full combat gear. And I said, Sully, are you okay? And he said, we killed those 20 insurgents and I'm gonna go play with their bodies later. And I was like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. We have more, more bad guys are coming. We got reports, we're surrounded. Close air support is not available for another hour. The enemy booby trapped the road with like 20 or more bombs to the the main base. So the ground reinforcements are gonna take over an hour to get to us. He said, we're on our own for the next hour. And we're surrounded conserve ammo take welling shots i'm going to be on the rooftop with the other guys from charlie company so i was on the street with my platoon and he was on the rooftop with his platoon and there was also iraqi soldiers and american soldiers getting first aid and all that you know getting patched up um and for the next hour we fought wave after wave of insurgents till finally air support showed up and then the Kiowa helicopters; these these helicopters have no doors, and they were flying low, doing gun runs until they ran out of ammo and rockets. And then the pilots and co-pilots were shooting from their doors, shooting down at the enemy with their M4s, and throwing hand grenades. And then once they ran out of ammo, they just throw they they threw some smoke grenades to mark where the enemy was, enemy positions, and they left. And then we called mortar fire to hit those you know where the red smoke was. And in that one hour, we killed um, over 170 to 200 insurgents. And that was June 25th, 2007. And then in October 27, 2007, I was back at Fort Bragg. I turned in my gear. I got a piece of paper, orders from the Army. It said, you have 10 days to turn in your equipment and get out. I did my medical appointments, turned in my gear. I got a stamp on a piece of paper that said that I had turned in my, my stuff and did my appointments. And then I got a piece of paper called a DD-214. <laughs> and they said, make sure you make a lot of copies of this because this is the only evidence that you served." Thank you for your service. Good luck. Thank you for your service. Good luck. And after over two years of combat, I was a civilian. And I was back home. And I was a college student and that was like a whole new transition to like another part of my life right there.
1: Wow. Holy smokes. Yeah. You know, when I think about PTSD, when I think about trauma, I've heard this great uh, illustration. Uh, It's not my original. If you walk up to an Oak tree every day, hit it one time with an ax. And you do that for a couple years. Eventually that oak tree is gonna fall. Yeah. But what day did you chop it down on? Oof. Yeah, I got out. And, and you know, trauma is cumulative. Yes. You know, it builds up. One one blow here, one one explosion there, one bullet there. It all adds up. It's all cumulative. So, you know, the story you just told is one of just layers of layers of of multifaceted trauma just one on top of the other from 19 to 23 plus you know and now you're sitting beside some kid in a college class yeah how did you cope with that what did what did you do to well i did make it through that
0: i i cope the way i knew how from being a paratrooper party you know train hard party hard so uh I would drink a lot, you know, um, when I got out, it it was like, I remember walking through the college campus and it was like this record on replay of gunfire and radio chatter that I could hear. And I was watching windows and rooftops and I was, you know, looking at the crowd. Like, I just felt like there was a lot of anxiety. There was too many people around
1: hypervigilance, hypervigilance, hypervigilance is like living, you know, at a 10, You know, most people in these college classes walking around you, they're at like a one. Yeah. You know, and we can, we cannot sustain uh, a level 10 hypervigilance. It's made, our bodies are made to do that for very short term, very short duration as a survival mechanism. Yeah, When you take a person and you live for years at a nine or a 10 level of hypervigilance, it's like a guitar string, just getting tightened tighter and tighter and tighter Yeah. So you're self-medicating with alcohol during this point.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I, I love your illustrations. The, you know, you're tighter and tighter. That stream kept getting tighter. And I tried. So for years I had pushed back all the memories, my friends in body bags, my, all this stuff. Now there was nowhere to hide. And all these memories were coming out. I found myself crying, you know, I thought for no reason. I didn't know what was happening. It felt like a panic attack every now and then. I'm driving on the freeway. I'm in my truck going to school, and I just start tearing up, crying, and I have to pull over because I'm going to crash. And I'm just trying to breathe and tell myself to, you know, stop being a, a, a wussy. Don't be a wuss. Come on, get your crap together, you know. And I was having nightmares at night, and I wasn't sleeping. So finally, I thought, you know, my life is miserable. I'm exhausted. I'm having nightmares. I was going to church because I felt like it was God who saved me, but I I wasn't involved. I was sitting in the back. I usually showed up to church with a hangover, sat in the back, check the box. Okay, God, like I'm still alive. Um, I'll hear what the preacher has to say, and then I'm going to leave and I'm going to drink some more. And that's what I was doing. So I wasn't telling anyone about the nightmares. No one knew that I was suffering inside. And finally, I thought, you know, the the best days of my life are behind me. Um, I'm miserable. I went to war. I did all these things: jumped out of planes, Ranger School, three deployments, recon team. I've done enough, you know. Um, I was like 25 or 26 years old. Uh, I thought, I'm ready to I'm ready to go. I already had a a few of my friends already were committing suicide. They had committed suicide, and. I thought, yeah, it's it's time for me to, to go. And then one night I <clears throat> I was in my studio apartment and I was, you know, I, I was drinking alcohol and then I, I was in the dark, blinds closed, just sitting there with the piss my 45 in one hand and, and beer a beer in the other. I dropped the beer and I said, All right, this is it. I'm gonna take my life. I put the pistol in my mouth. I took the safety off, I closed my eyes and then I, in my mind, I remember with a pistol in my mouth, I said, God, if you're there, save me. And it was just quiet. And I thought, okay, God doesn't care about me. Um, It's time for me to go. I'm just going to squeeze the trigger and I'm not going to feel anything. So I put my thumb on the trigger and then I slowly, I'm like, okay, I'm going to slowly apply pressure. And then I heard a bang and then I dropped the gun and I, I, I was scared and I'm in tears and I'm looking around and there's no blood and I'm touching my head and there's no holes. And I'm looking around and then I saw that the Bible I had in on my office desk in my studio apartment is this thick Bible. um, It's on my shelf right now. I could look, I could see it from here. Uh, It has a Greek and Hebrew concordance in the back and Hmm. uh, it flew off the desk and hit the floor. And that's the, the thud I heard. And it wasn't a bang, like a bullet sound. I mean, it's not that loud, but when you got a gun in your mouth and it's quiet and you, you know, this Bible just flying off and hitting the floor, just, it freaked me out. It scared me. I dropped the gun. I saw the Bible and then I started praying and I said, God, I need help. I need help. I give up. I give up. I hit this point in my life where I I realized how much pride I had. You know, I, I went from, Lord, help me through boot camp. Help me through jumping out of planes. Help me through, you know, whatever to, oh, I did this. I got this, you know. Yeah.
1: If it's amazing I... how quickly we get full of pride. <laughs> yes. And And you ask for help one second. And as soon as you get the help, you're like, forget about it. I did that on my own. I'm good.
0: Yes. Right. Just like you described landing an airplane. It's scary. Oh, Lord, help. And then you land and, oh, let's celebrate the landing. (laughs) (laughs) And then forget about everything, you know, forget about the miracle.
1: And you know what, man, pride too. the thing about it is pride keeps us locked inside ourselves. It keeps us from talking yeah it it closes us off because you know the only way you can you can be open and honest with anybody which is which is you know how you communicate to foster relationship the only way you can do that is by becoming vulnerable you have yeah. to you have to be be willing to be vulnerable pride keeps you from doing that so when you think about somebody who's full of pride it's really sad because they're they're closing themselves off from their relationships their world is getting smaller and smaller around them. It's just them. It's just them because they're so full of pride that the thought of even sharing what they're struggling with, what they're going with, what they're going through with somebody, they can't even do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Pride is the the enemy of God. You know, it's just, I can do this, I got this, I'm in control. And really you're not. None of us are, you know? And I reached that point where I said, okay. I've been doing things my own way. I've been denying getting help. Um, a friend of mine that I knew from high school, he he's a veteran. He also joined the army after I, I joined, and um, now he was working for the VA. And he kept reaching out to me to get help, and I just like nah, that's just for wussies. No, I don't need that crap. You know, people are just like attention seeking. I was just like um, so prideful. I was like mm-hmm. talking down on people who were getting help. You know. And I reached a point where I was like, I need help. And the next day after this incident, you know, when I almost took my life, he calls me and he's like, hey, are, um, I'm reaching out again. I'm not giving up. I know I want you to get help. And I still was denying that I needed help. The next day I was like, nah, I'm good. Nah, I don't need that. And uh, But he was like, no, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to pick you up. And I'm gonna buy you breakfast, and and I'm we're, you're going to the VA, and I was like, well, if you're gonna buy me breakfast, all right, <laughs> you know. And I remember um, going to a, a mental health clinic, a VA mental health clinic in uh, East Los Angeles, and I walked in, and they gave me this packet, and the packet was a bunch of questions. They're like, fill out these questions, give it back to the receptionist, and then you know you'll your the therapist will see you soon. And the the questions
1: were, do you drink
0: alcohol? Uh, Are you having nightmares?
1: Are you thinking about killing yourself? Have you seen anything upsetting?
0: Have you seen anything (laughs) upsetting? Yeah. They even asked if I've ever had to burn feces in combat. like Because we would poop in barrels and we we had (laughs) to burn it. And I'm sitting there looking at this packet. And I was like, deny, deny, deny. No, no. I'm good. Mm. No nightmares. I was still resisting. Mm. I turn in this packet, I sit down and then out comes Bob Weems from East LA VA clinic. And he says, hi, my name's Bob. I'm like, what's up, Bob? I'm Fernando. He's like, <laughs> come on, come with me. Like, let's chat. And we go in his office, he closes the door. And then he says, well, um, according to your answers, you don't need our help. I said, well, that's great. Can I leave? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, hold on. He he pulls out my DD-214. He says, I think you're full of crap. And I was like, what? And he goes, here, it says you've, you know, you were a paratrooper, jumped out of planes, ranger school, um, been a combat three times. You earned the combat infantryman badge. So you've seen war. And uh, your military history does not match your answers. Your your answers don't match your history. I think you're lying to me. He said, I can't help you unless you tell me the truth. He said, even he told me this, even if you've committed murder, what you tell me, is, it's, it's it's confidential. And I'm looking at him and I'm looking at the door and mm. I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, do I get up and walk out? And keep running like I've been running. Or do I just give this a try? Because what I've been doing hasn't worked. And it brought me to the point where I almost took my life. So I I looked at him and I said, what do you want to know? And he said, are you having nightmares? And I said, yes. How many hours of sleep are you getting a night? each night? I said, two to three. Have you thought about killing yourself? Yes. Have you attempted suicide? Yes. How many drinks did you have on Friday? 36. With who? Alone. What about Saturday? The same. With who? Alone. What about Sunday? Sunday I had like 20-something. He said, why'd you have less? I said, because I got to go to work on Monday. Who are you drinking with? I said, alone. He said, you need help. And then that's when I had this moment of like, oh man, like this stigma, like I'm labeled, I need help, I'm broken, I'm weak. Admitting to me, I felt like a failure. I felt like I had, um, like there's this stigma of like going to sick haul in the army.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like you know? you're a a shirker.
0: Yeah. You're, you're, you're sham- trying to
1: get out of, yeah. Yeah. You're trying to get out of duty.
0: Yes. You're trying to get out of duty. You're a shammer you're, you know, wah, 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 you're crying, like, you know, you're, oh, my foot hurts, I can't run today, like, oh, boo-hoo, you know, I just felt all that, I just felt ashamed, like, oh, I need help, like, no, man, come on, I don't need help, I'm strong, you know, and then this guy wasn't even a believer, uh, not a Christian, uh, I think he was Jewish, but he asked me, um, are you a man of faith? And I said, yes. He said, what religion do you identify with? And I said, I'm a Christian. He said, okay. So you believe in Jesus? And I said, yeah. And he asked me, why did Jesus die on the cross? And I I said, for the sins of the world. Did he die for your sins? I said, yes. So you believe, because you're a Christian, that he died for your sins? And I said, yeah. So is there anything that you have done in your life that he cannot forgive you for? And I started crying Mm. and I said, no. And he said, I'm not a Christian, but I respect your faith and your beliefs. And I want to just sit here quietly and just give you a moment to pray out loud. To Jesus and say what you have to say. And I'm in tears. And I asked God, oh man. And I asked God, I said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. You know, it was that moment right there. I realized like, I've been to war three times. I jumped out of planes and all this And it was him, he was there the whole time. He kept me alive. He didn't allow one bullet to touch me. And and now my pride failed me. And it was him I needed the whole time. And right there I prayed and asked for forgiveness. And then for the next year, twice a week I met with Bob and I processed everything, all my shame, my guilt, everything I've done, everything that was bothering me. I shared my nightmares. Um, I went to church and I opened up about what I was going through. And I thought that at church, when I shared <laughs> what, I, what I was going through, that I was gonna be told, oh, you know, you're not a real believer. You need to like, you need to leave, you know? I just felt like I was gonna be rejected. And that's a lie. That's not what happened at all. Instead, everyone's like, man, you know, they leaned in on me and prayed for me and checked on me. And, you know, now I have this brotherhood at church of guys that, you know, they're not even, some are vets and some aren't, but most of them are not. And I trust them and they're there for me. And it's all about surrendering that pride and admitting I need help and recognizing also like i need help but it's only god who can help me and it's only god who can bring true forgiveness and redemption
1: yeah amen and,
0: and that's what i've experienced
1: holy smokes thank god for guys like bob yeah man what what a what an absolute rock star that guy is too and th- this is this is what we need in our life is we all need a bob in our life whether it's a whether it's a therapist or just a, a buddy in our life. We need somebody who calls us out on our bullshit. Yeah. Right. And says, I don't believe you're telling me the truth. Yep. And unfortunately, most guys don't have a Bob in their life. They have, um, they have golf buddies and drinking buddies and nobody that calls them out. Yeah. Thank God you had that guy in your life. He definitely saved your life. And I want to highlight this. You said you met with him twice a week for a year. Yeah. So you think about this it took you three deployments over four years to get to the place where you were at the rock bottom with the gun in your mouth. You don't get there quickly. Yeah. Right. You didn't get there off of uh, one bad day in combat. you got there off of, off of years. And I want our listeners to hear this. It takes us a long time to get to the rock bottom we can't expect to get out of it the next day. Yeah. Right. It's a long road down. It's also a long road back, but the good news is the road back is not as long. Right. Um, But it's not, it's not immediate either. It's not a quick fix. So we have to be patient and do the work to get out of it. Um, It doesn't take you four years to get out of it though. I mean, you were feeling tremendous results and benefits early on and then it gets a little better and a little better and you know these twice a week for a year. But that's a that's a very reasonable timeline and and more guys should hear that and have those expectations of whether your your problem is marriage, you know, um uh, guys with bad marriages, they didn't get there quickly. You know, it takes years to get into that position and it takes a while to get out. So we have to we have to be willing to be patient and show up every day with the Bob every week with our Bobs, yeah. <laughs> hey, whoever the Bob is in your life. You better be meeting with him twice a week for a year. If you expect to to reap those benefits and you know, your story is so powerful. Praise God that you, um, you got over your pride and you didn't stand up and walk out that door that day in his office. Yeah. And now obviously, I mean, you've written about it. You've written and published a book about it. So that's a tremendous amount of processing to get to where you are today. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the questions that I just dying to ask you is what message would you give today to a 22, 23-year-old Fernando? What, what message would you give to a, a, a young serviceman uh, who's in that similar situation that you were in? What would you say to that guy today?
0: Stop running, stop running, Um, stop running from God, you know, he's the only one uh, that gives true hope and meaning in life and get help, stop running, get help because what, what I'm seeing a pattern of when it comes to veteran suicides, there's 22 veterans that commit suicide every day. That's the the, statistic right now. I just read an article yesterday that the Marine Corps right now currently has the highest suicide rate from all the other branches. Um, So there's even right now there's active duty military personnel and they're going through some stuff and they're committing suicide. They're contemplating suicide. I would say stop running, get help. There's no shame in that. You know, it's you go to the gym to work on yourself and get stronger and you work on your body and you want to look good. But what about your mental health? What about your spiritual health? You know, when you read the word, you're working out, your, you're, you're taking, you're eating that bread of life that gives you the nutrients you need to be strong spiritually. And when you talk to somebody to, you know, not just, you need to find a community where it's not just golfing and drinking buddies. Who are you surrounded by? Do you yeah. have men or women in your life that you can confide in, that will be there for you, that you can share what you're going through and they will stand and fight next to you? That's, that's what I would tell myself. I would ask myself these questions and I would encourage myself at age 22 looking back, find that community, get plugged in, plug into a church, find groups, find people you can confide in. People who support you and um,
1: get help. Yeah, that's Talk so good. Somebody. I think those. I think you just mentioned a couple of really good check engine lights. These are some good caution lights, right? If you're listening to this, if you're a young guy, law enforcement, paramedic, I'll tell you nobody sees more trauma than than ambulance drivers, EMTs, paramedics. They're seeing these things every single day. If you're in the military, if you're hearing these things, here's your check engine lights. One, you're not in a church. You're not in a small group. You have no close Christian friends that you're talking with daily. Yep. Um, you're you're closing down your relationships. You're not praying. You're not in the word. There's six check engine lights. If those are you and you're hearing this, you are walking down that path that Fernando was walking down. At age 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. And it's it's a slippery slope because you can you can rationalize away each one of those things. You can say, Well, it's not that big a deal. Well, I do this. Well, it's okay. I just, you know, I haven't found a good church. I haven't found a good Christian buddy. You got to go out there and you gotta find them. You gotta do the work. You gotta have the conversations. You gotta go get what you need. It's like go getting food and going and get water. You don't complain that there's not any set in front of you. Yeah. You go get what you need. And, you know, you're talking about spiritual health and, and, and these young guys, they get it. They're spending all the time working on their physical health in the gym. But, you know, it's important to remember you're not a body with a spirit, right? Yeah. You're a spirit with a body. And and we got to be taking care of that, that mind and soul and those things, cause that's who we really are. That's, that's what we are. Um, such an incredible story of, uh, being able to surrender and say, you know what, I've been trying to steer for all these years and I'm not doing a very good job of it. Here's where, here's where me steering got me. And and I'm ready for God. You, you steer now you, you take over. That's that total surrender. And I've been there myself. You know, I've been to the point where my wife and I, we were about to get a divorce and things were not going well. And I had to reach that total surrender. I was like, I've made a mess of my life with, with Dave Mills steering. Here's where that landed. Yeah. Right. Maybe it's time to let somebody else steer. And, and that's that getting over ourselves, getting over our pride, whether guys it's, it's with your, with a drinking addiction, with processing trauma, with a relationship, whatever it is, we've got to be willing to swallow our pride and start talking just like Fernando did with Bob. Cause that's where it starts. That's where the healing begins. Yeah. So what are you doing right now? Tell us, tell us about what's your ministry look like now? What do you do? So
0: I wrote the book and I've been doing interviews like this and speaking at different events to, you know, spread the message to veterans about seeking help, you know, and, I've also, I work at a nonprofit called Step Forward Academy and I'm the veterans outreach director at stepforwardacademy.org. The services are free of charge and something that we see that I see a pattern of is like guys are in the military and they get out and they don't have direction for what they want to do with their life. They don't have a sense of purpose. So what we do at step forward is career development. You know, we have a curriculum, it's all free and it's online, so you can do it from anywhere and steering people to figure out what are you going to do after the military? And then do you have community? We have mentors and coaches and with what these mentors try to do, and this is a Christian nonprofit, by the way. So we want you to get to have a career and be able to um, provide for yourself. That's great. But we want you to be plugged into a community, to a church, to a group, to have mentors that can guide you and talk to you. And um, for the veterans, we have veterans who are volunteers and their mentors and they've been through, you know, Vietnam and, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, and they're there willing to help this next generation of military veterans. And um, so my goal is to help as many, uh, you know, I say my ministry is to veterans and their families first and then everyone else. And that's some of the stuff that I'm. That man, I'm doing. that is
1: so great. And you said stepforwardacademy.org? dot org. Yes. stepforwardacademy.org. dot org, and we'll put that link in our show notes, guys. We'd um, love to love to point people towards that ministry where they can where they can find you, and and with the work you're doing. And uh, man, that is so cool to hear how your story has come full circle, and now you're. Your full time day-to-day is helping other veterans. This that's just awesome. And also, you know, uh, Fernando's book, uh available on Amazon, The Shadow of Death, from Battles of Fallujah to the Battle for His Soul. Check it out there. Fernando, man, I just want to thank you so much for not just your time, but for sharing your story. Um, it takes emotional energy to to share a story like that. You don't just you don't just rattle that off <laughs> you know, to anybody. And that was an emotional story for me, man. Holy crap. I got, I got choked up and, and watery sitting here, just listening to you. And uh, so I really thank you for that because more men need to hear stories like yours. Right. And we're not all warriors on a literal battlefield. um, Watch watching bullets hit our, hit our buddies, but we're all in a battle. Every single day. If you're a Christian man, every single morning when you wake up, you are at war and you are behind enemy lines. We live in enemy occupied territory. And make no mistake, it's it's a war, and there's an enemy, and he's trying to devour us and rip us to pieces, rip our marriages to pieces, keep us addicted, keep us full of pride, keep us isolated, and keep us quiet. And and we have to we have to go out of our way to make an Effort every single day to not fall into any of those traps, so Fernando Arroya, thank you so much, and uh hope that guys listen to this, click on the link, buy his book, check out his his ministry's web page, and uh man, we hope to have you on the podcast again. We'd love to uh get to see you in person as well, so um as we start getting some men's alliance tribes in your neck of the woods brother yeah we're gonna we're gonna come out there and visit. <laughs> and, uh, and do, a, do a workout and have a devotion around a fire with you. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, Fernando, thanks again, buddy. All right, brother. Well, guys, that was an amazing conversation with author Fernando Arroyo out of California with a great ministry, and a great book. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Two quick announcements for you. First of all, we're growing faster than we can barely keep up with. Praise God. When we put on a Start the Fire class, it's full. When we put on a Carry the Fire patch class, it's full. We're trying to create more seats at more classes with more instructors to keep training more men to become the husbands and fathers and leaders that God designed us to be. We need your support in order to keep up with the demand. Please help me keep up with this growing demand. If you can just support Men's Alliance, But 10 or 20 bucks a month, that will make a huge impact, that recurring monthly donation that we can count on, that we can see this guy's a recurring donor. We can count on this for next month. This allows us to be able to put on more classes, more events, launch more tribes. Please support us in this amazing mission. I want to invite you to be a part of this mission with me. So go to tribe.com, click on support and help us there. Second announcement, really excited to tell you about something so many of you have asked. You've asked me about it, you've texted me about it. Here's your answer. Yeah. There's a Women's Alliance. So I'm really excited to tell you about this go to womensalliancetribe.com. Hannah Willis, call sign Crunchy, has launched it. There are now 7 tribes in 4 states. They're doing amazing, and they're doing exactly what we're doing. So, guys, if your wives are, like, wishing there was something totally awesome at their church that we have, here it is, Women's Alliance. Go to womensalliancetribe.com. Contact, reach out to Crunchy, a.k.a. Crunchy. Hannah Willis is her real name. She will help. Your wives launch a Women's Alliance tribe at your church. Yep, they're outdoors. Yep, there's a fire. 30-minute rugged workout, real-world devotion. They flip tires. They swing sledgehammers. They give call signs. They give war cries. She has their equivalent of a coin member, their equivalent of a patch member. They have the same programs. We have a great partnership between Men's Alliance and Women's Alliance. So go check it out, and let's get more Women's Alliance tribes started as well. Look forward to seeing you all around the fire. Thanks for listening to the Men's Alliance podcast. We hope to see you in one of our tribes or at one of our unforgettable weekend experiences. So join us at com.